0: Now, let me just say a prayer as we begin here. Father God, we recognize that we need you, God. We recognize in our world there's so much pain and hurt and also so much beauty. And Father, we think about this disaster that happened on the panhandle of Florida with Hurricane Michael. And we pray, God, for all the people that are in the midst of suffering and loss and difficulty. May you meet with them. We think about all the uh, other struggles, both globally and personally, and we need you to intervene. And God, as we take a brief moment out of our week to meet with you, to learn from you, to respond to you, God, may you open up our hearts and our lives to respond in a way <clears throat> how you would lead us to. So God, may you remove me and may we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. But today we continue our series, Align, Joining Jesus in All of Life. And we're talking about finding uh, the hero of your story. I don't know about you, but I love superhero movies. I love to jump into those movies. And there's something about this battle between good and evil and right and wrong. That like when evil is taking over and it seems like there's no hope left, that all of a sudden good rises from this hero To overtake things. There's something that inspires me about that. And it's easy to think that we as a culture have a corner on epic stories, but we really don't. These type of hero stories go back through all cultures, through all the ages, that in all people there's a longing for heroes, a longing for somebody to come in and make what is wrong right, to take what is evil and somehow turn it around for good. Think about even some of the movies and books and other things that come up on a regular basis. I know they're older now, but I still love the Lord of the Rings trilogy movies. And once in a while, my wife and I do the marathon with the extended editions. You know, but there's something about this unlikely hero, Frodo, who helps rescue uh, Middle Earth from all this darkness and destruction. Or maybe you've seen the movie Unbreakable about Louis Zamperini, who during World War II, his plane crashed in the ocean and for 47 days he was adrift on the ocean, only to be rescued and thrown in a prisoner of war camp for the next two years. And this movie tells his true life story of how through all this he kept holding on and then even after that came to know Christ. But there's something that inspires us about people who do heroic things above and beyond. Another book that was recommended to me this summer was called Fearless, about a Navy SEAL Adam Brown, who out of all these difficulties rose to the challenge and became a Navy SEAL. And then he served his country faithfully and and ultimately was killed in battle. But it's this epic story of somebody pushing themselves beyond what we could even imagine. And all of us look for heroes, All of us look for people that we want to emulate in our lives. In the kids' magazine highlights, I don't know if you've ever seen that magazine. If It's been a while since you were a kid, maybe you remember that, because it was around even when I was a kid. Um, In that magazine, every year they do a state of the kids survey to figure out what's going on in kids' lives. And so this last year, they asked a whole series of questions of kids and got all these responses. But two of the questions they asked one was, who is a person you admire and respect? Who is a person that you look up to that could maybe be a hero in your life? 25% said teachers. So if you're a teacher, there's many kids looking towards you. Another 20% said their family, they look up to you, they admire and respect. And 15% said celebrities, which could be a mixed bag, <laughs> When asked about another question, what superpower, because you can't do a kid's survey without asking this question, what superpower would you want if you could have any superpower? 27% said they wish they could teleport and fly, like both, teleport and fly. Who wouldn't want to do that? 10% wanted in Invisibility, not invincibility, invisibility, so they wouldn't be seen, 9% mental powers and 7% super speed. And the reason they wanted these superpowers, 26% wanted it for their own advantage, but another 17% wanted it to prevent or change events to either save or help people. Even in kids, you can see this desire to be a hero, to be somebody who helps others. And it's not only kids who want superpowers or need heroes. As adults, we need them too. We need people that we look to to emulate in our lives. It's unfortunate that in our culture many of the people that we have elevated over the years their lives and character has crumbled. And you could probably look at many different examples, both personally and on a broader scale, of people who maybe started well, but didn't finish well, who underneath their character wasn't in place, and then this in turn caused their world to crumble around them. So just take a moment and look at your own story. Who would you say is the hero or heroes in your story? And why would you consider them a hero? Who are the people that you look to and say, I want to be like that person? I want to model my life after somebody like that. For me, there are a few people that come to my mind. My parents I would consider heroes in my story. They were people who have faithfully prayed for me and pointed me back towards Jesus through every single season in my life. They've encouraged me and they've never given up on me. And I look at them and say, man, those are heroes, that never turned away from me. Another person is my first youth pastor, but he became my youth pastor when I was 20. I was an old youth. And, but at 20 years old, as I was coming out of a whole mess of life, he invited me into relationship, and he gave me opportunities I probably shouldn't have had, but he said, I believe in you, Mark, and I want to give you opportunities to pursue after Jesus. And that propelled me into what God has created me to do and be today. Another person was um, a guy named Steve Hawkins who was in a mission organization who my family supported and one year he came through and I was talking to him about what God was doing in my life and he said, you need to come with me on mission and so I went with him on a trip to Israel and then after that it opened up an opportunity for me to move to England for two years where I met my wife. And so I look back and I see, man, this guy was a hero in my story. He came along and he spoke truth to me. And he's, it's his fault that I'm married to Nami too. But he made such an impact in my life, I actually had him come and perform our wedding and dedicate our first child because he had such an influence in that certain period of my life. Then a little later on, there was another gentleman named Dan Crom, And if you're on Facebook and you track with me on Facebook, you probably saw that um, he died a few weeks ago. He was an interim pastor. I served under him. But he inspired me to go beyond what I thought I could do. And he encouraged me and prayed for me. And when I talked to him just a few weeks before he died, even when he could barely talk, he was still trying to encourage me. And still trying to point me towards Jesus. And he's such an example to me of somebody who finished well. We need more examples of people who finish well. That just don't start well, but finish that race well. But in your own story, who are the people that you'd consider heroes? People who've invested in you. People that you look at and say, boy, I'd want to emulate them. I am inspired by what they do. And it's important to identify who those heroes are, because we often, intentionally or unintentionally, become like our heroes. We gravitate towards those people that we want to emulate. But let's look at a little bigger picture. Because I believe that the heroes in our own life point to a larger picture, a larger story beyond our own story. That even in sort of a cosmic level, there's a need for a hero. A hero for the ages that we can follow, that we can emulate, that we can look to and say, that is somebody that I want to follow. And when you go to the pages of Scripture... You can see all through the Bible all these different heroes that accomplished incredible things. But the thing about all the heroes except one is they failed in some way. You can always attach kind of a but to their story. This person was a hero but. But in the midst of this story, you see one hero that doesn't have that attached, who's both man and God who came on a rescue mission, and his name is Jesus. And many of you are very familiar with Jesus, and right now is where you're like, okay, I've heard this, I'm going to take a nap for the rest of the service. Or maybe some of you, this isn't familiar, or you think you have it figured out. But I'd encourage you to just track. Track with me, and maybe you'll discover something new or different of how Jesus can relate to your story and in your life. So in any good story, it has different components. So if you're into the whole English language, I'm not real big into English. I never liked that class, but I have been forced to learn. But within any great story, there's different movements. The characters, the setting, the plot, the conflict, and the resolution. The characters usually tell you who the story is about, and you have the protagonist and the antagonist, the one who's trying to accomplish something and the one that comes against her or vice versa. You can see the setting of where this story takes place. You can see the plot of why it's happening and the conflict of what is actually going on that's creating this tension. And then at some point in any good story, there's a resolution at the end. And as we read the pages of Scripture, often we can, use, we can read it like for facts. That let's cross every T, dot every I, and it's just for information. But the reality is the Bible is this grand story. And overwhelmingly through the pages of Scripture, you see this story. Is it beyond a story? Yes. I believe that is the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God. But I do believe we have to see how God was writing a story through all of history through this. And so today I want to simply show you a video. Some of you have seen it before. Also in your seat backs, there's a little booklet that goes along with the video that you're going to see called The Story. And I want you to just think about any good story that has character, setting, plot, conflict, and resolution, and see in this story all of those components. So take a look at this.
1: There is only one story that answers life's most essential questions and gives a lasting sense of purpose and meaning. It's the story that inspires all other stories. It's the true story that defines every one of us. This is That Story. How did it all begin? Like all stories, this one begins in the beginning with the author, who is God. He spoke everything into being. With a word, galaxies appeared with stars and planets. Earth was designed for life to flourish. Everything God made was gloriously good and breathtakingly perfect. The highlight of God's creation was the first man and woman, Adam. And Eve, God entrusted everything he created to his beloved children, giving just one rule. They were not to eat fruit from a specific tree. They lived in loving obedience, worshiping God as their Heavenly Father, and enjoying perfect harmony with creation, each other, and God. Considering our world today, its obvious perfect peace didn't last, turmoil. War, sickness, troubles, we each have our share. What went wrong? It started when a fallen angel named Satan grew jealous of God and determined to ruin the perfection of creation. Satan took the form of a serpent and enticed Adam and Eve to question God's goodness and rebel against his one rule. In disobedience, they ate the fruit, and peace unraveled, ushering in sin and death which still plagues us today. If we are honest, we are very much like Adam and Eve. We all rebel against our Heavenly Father, making our hearts heavy with fear, guilt, and shame. Our bodies are weary with sickness, disease, and death. Earth is afflicted with storms, calamities, and disasters. Even worse, sin has separated us from God, causing a permanent divide, a miserable separation called hell. The fallout of sin has been catastrophic. It's inescapable with no way to fix it. Leaving us all to wonder, is there any hope? The love that prompted God to create us also prompted him to send a Savior who would set everything right again. As centuries passed, God shared exact details of the coming Savior's birth, life, and death. Everything in the Bible points to this rescuer. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth as God the Son to fulfill the promise. He was born miraculously, as his mother was a virgin. Just like us, Jesus grew up and experienced life on earth. But unlike us, Jesus never sinned and always obeyed the Father. When Jesus was in his 30s, he began teaching all around Israel, pointing people to God's kingdom, and performing many miracles. After a few years, he was wrongly accused and sentenced to an agonizing death on a cross. Jesus lovingly gave up his perfect life as a sacrifice, to pay for the sins of mankind. He died a perfect death, taking our place, the innocent for the guilty. But the grave couldn't hold Jesus. Three days later, God brought Jesus to life again. Jesus defeated sin by dying on the cross and defeated death by rising from the dead. Today, Jesus sits at God's right hand as king and judge over all creation. This is the story of rescue God has authored. He invites us, through repentance and faith, to make his story of rescue the one we trust in and live from. When we do, everything changes. And now... What will the future hold? For everyone who trusts in Jesus alone for rescue, God has promised to restore your heart and set you free from sin's hold because God is loving, kind, merciful, forgiving, tender-hearted, and true. God has also promised to make all things new. One day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth forever free from sin. Everything that causes pain and sadness will be gone. God has also promised to be with us forever. The moment you trust in Jesus, your relationship with God is restored because Jesus has closed the divide sin caused. Getting to know this all-loving God starts today and continues forever. For God's story never ends. You can make God's story the foundation of your life even now by admitting your need for God's rescue. Asking forgiveness for your sin. Trusting in Jesus Christ alone to rescue you. Following Jesus in faith from this moment on. This is God's story. Will you make it yours?
0: So I'd encourage you, if you haven't taken that little booklet out, I want you to take a quick look at it. On the back, there's actually a URL that you can go to, and that's our personal URL as as the church. So if you hand this out to somebody and tell them to go look at that video, we can actually look and see, not their name, but see how many people are actually checking this out. Then if you flip back a couple pages, you'll see the four big movements at the top, creation, the fall, the rescue. And restoration. And if you look at that like within the components of a good story, you can see the characters that came out in the story. God, Satan, humanity. You see the setting both on a cosmic level and on the earth. You see the plot that everything was created good and then something happened. You can see the conflict of good and evil and it seems like evil is taking over. And then in the midst of this conflict, one steps in to rescue, and there's two points of resolution. One is in the rescue with Jesus on the cross, and another is in the restoration. And as we look at the Bible, you can often miss this big story, that in the middle of this, there's all these movements happening that are pointing towards God's ultimate rescue of us in this cosmic story. But beyond this, often we take the story and we kind of put it like next to us. And we go, you know, this is great and and we we want to tell people about Jesus. So we take this story and it's like, if you've believed in Jesus, you kind of move it over here. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm going to get onto these other things. But is that really what we're meant to do with this story? I believe we're supposed to take this and actually look at our life through the lens of this whole story. If you think about creation, the fall, the rescue, restoration, there are things in each one of our story that point towards these different movements. Think about creation, that each one of us is a result of creation, that your parents procreated you, that they were able to participate in the creation that God began at the beginning. You walk around in a world that's been created. Anytime you have an idea, you're becoming a creator. There's so much of our story that points towards that realm of creation. Then think about the fall. How can you see that in your own story? The pain, the suffering, the sickness, the brokenness in your own life that you've experienced because of your own choices or because of other people's choices, you can see how the fall has affected every single one of us and also how it's affected the planet. Just look at the hurricane from this last week and other natural disasters throughout the world. Then you see rescue. And this rescue points back to that there was something wrong with the world. And so we needed a rescuer And for those who know Jesus, we have participated in that rescue. And for those who haven't, maybe you're looking forward or looking for somebody to rescue And then even within that, if you look in your own story, you might know Jesus or have come to an understanding but still be saying there's something wrong. That the bell has already been rung in my life and there's no undoing this, whatever this is. And I believe that longing in us to go back to innocence, to go back to periods in our life where things weren't broken or things were better, actually points us towards this future hope that one day God is going to make all wrong right. All sickness will come to an end. All tears will be wiped away. And God's story and our story, I believe, need to be woven together in this incredible tapestry. That it's not God's story over here and our story over here, but we need to kind of overlap them. If you have those like old books on the human body, have you ever see one of those with the like cle- half clear pages? We're like, oh, it's a bare body and now I have the skeletal system and now I have this other system. And you overlay all these parts. I believe we need to do that with God's st- story and look at our story through that lens. But before we get to that point, let's take a look at the hero of this story. And if you have a Bible, we're going to flip over to the book of Colossians and just spend a few minutes in Colossians. On the Bible timeline, Colossians falls in that area of church and missions and future. But even as you look at this Bible timeline, you can see the big narrative. You can see creation. It doesn't specifically say the fall, but that's right at the beginning. You can jump forward to Gospels, which is the good news about Jesus Christ. And then you can jump forward to the future that one day things are going to be restored. So we're kind of right towards that end. And this letter is written by Paul and Timothy to a church in the city of Colossae. Colossae is in uh, what is considered modern day Turkey. We have somebody from Turkey here with us this morning. And so it's along a trade route at that time that went from Ephesus through Colossae. And so many goods would travel through there. Now in this letter that was written by Paul and Timothy, it seems like they were addressing that the people were following lesser heroes, that potentially they were looking to other people or other things to be the hero of their story. So many times in the book of Colossians, you see Paul and Timothy exalting Jesus and saying Jesus is better, Jesus is more. Look at Jesus and not these other things to be your hero. So let's take a look. At Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. We read in verse 15 that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Another translation goes on to say that he is the firstborn of all creation. And in both those statements, what we see is that if we're looking to see who God is, we look at Jesus. Because God In flesh is Jesus. That if we're trying to find the invisible God, Jesus makes him visible. And that term firstborn over all creation, as I was doing some research on this, it really means that Jesus is the prototype for humanity. That if we would rewind the clock, unring the bell with Adam and Eve, that Jesus is that perfect representation of what a human Should look like. So when you look at the pinnacle for humanity, Jesus is that example. Now, in verse 10, now we continue on and we read that Jesus is supreme over everything. That if you have questions about whether or not he's created, it says that he has created all things, that he is not part of creation, but he has created all things. We read in verse 16, by, for by him and through him, and it's all been created. In heaven and on earth, planets, solar system, rocks, water, animals, everything we see has been created by Jesus. Now when you think about a creative God, there are some weird plant and animal life out there. Like the platypus, or you think of whatever random type of animal or plant that you come across, and it's amazing to think of how creative God is. And then you zoom out to the solar systems and the cosmos where you're measuring things in light years, which is just unfathomable. So everything we have seen has been created by God. But then it says everything unseen has been created by God. The atoms, the quarks, the gases, whatever you don't see has also been created by God. Then we get into these structures of power. Thrones, that means heads of countries and states. You look around and Jesus has created all the heads of states. Kingdoms is more of like that land mass and the person who's controlling that landmass and bringing influence. Jesus is the creator of kingdoms. Then rulers really points towards the supernatural realm. That in the supernatural realm there's good and evil. This literally cosmic battle that's ha- happening. And Jesus is the creator. Of these rulers and the supernatural realm. And then you look at authorities, and that is really gets into a spiritual hierarchy. That even in the spiritual realm, there is a hierarchy. There is superiors and inferiors. So for any of you who love flowcharts, just start doing the whole flow chart. And working your way up and saying, who is at the head of this whole flow chart of all creation, of all things we see and don't see, of all spiritual beings, of everything imaginable, unimaginable. Keep working your way up and you get to one name that is above all name and the name is Jesus. That's what that passage is saying. There is one who is supreme over all. And it brings us back to this point in creation That he is the one that spoke it all into existence. And he is the one that has created it by him and for him. And it actually says he holds it all together. It's hard to think about Jesus holding it all together when you see these crazy, out-of-control storms or natural disasters or the pain that's been inflicted on people. And you're like, really? Is Jesus holding this all together? But imagine the flip. Of that. Imagine if Jesus just completely took his hands off everything. And God just said, I'm going to let the world go. Everything that we think is so horrible now would be minute compared to how this world would spin out of control. And Jesus is the only factor that is holding this pretty messed up planet together right now. Well, let's continue reading. It says Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Who's in charge of the church? Now, when I say church here, let me just define this real quick. Not small C local church. When we're talking here, Paul and Timothy are writing about what's called the universal church. The worldwide church of God through all ages, all people who have ever believed in Jesus' church. The church is not a building. The church is the people of God living out the purposes of God. And so when Paul says Jesus is the head of the church... He is the head of anybody through all time, through all of history, who has ever, will ever believe in Jesus. Jesus is their head. He is the one that's in charge. Not me, not elders, not boards. Jesus is the head of the church. And then he goes on to say that he is the beginning supreme over all who arise from the dead. Another translation says he is the firstborn, back from the dead. That Jesus is the only one in all of history that has resurrected from the dead and remained resurrected. Throughout history, you can find resurrections and even followers of Jesus who have resurrected others or even Jesus resurrected people, but all of those people one day died again. But Jesus, after his resurrection, he is alive and he is alive forevermore. He went first. And it says he is is first in everything. And by him going first as the resurrected one, eternally resurrected, he points to our resurrection one day. That we don't have to wish or hope or speculate whether or not the resurrection is going to happen. We can look back at the resurrection of Jesus and say he is the firstborn, the resurrected from the dead, and he has gone first, and we are just following Jesus towards the resurrection. That should be such a confident hope within our lives. And if you're wondering how powerful Jesus is, Paul states that in him, all the fullness of God resides in bodily form. That Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. It's a mystery, but it's an incredible truth that Jesus is God in flesh. And in him, it says he has reconciled everything to himself through his blood on the cross. So when we peel back this cosmic curtain, we see this grand narrative of God's story, that Jesus is supreme over all, and that Jesus is the cosmic, eternal hero of the whole story. And that when the world fell, when the world was created perfect, Jesus was there creating the world. When the world fell into chaos, Jesus did not abandon the world, but he remained with his master rescue plan to come and rescue the world. We see that even after his rescue and bringing everything back into alignment with him, we are looking forward to that final restoration by Jesus. When he brings it all back together together. Under himself, There is one supreme hero of the story of all of history, and his name is Jesus. And he points towards our own stories and how God wants us to make Jesus the hero of our story. And we need to really find the hero Jesus in our story. And if you looked at your handout, or if you're interested in writing things down, I'd encourage you to maybe do this. You know, this is like a simple grid work. And look at your own story in light of creation, the fall, the rescue, and restoration. Where in your story do you see creator God? Where do you see Jesus as creator? I see him in four beautiful children of mine. That Jesus has allowed me to participate in procreation of children. It's an incredible thing. I see it in the beauty in life. I see it in everything that's good, that God has continued to create beautiful things. What about the fall? Where do you see the fall in your life? Where do you see the personal brokenness and pain and hurt, either personally or maybe even around you? All of us have it. We are all broken in certain ways and have been inflicted with pain. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's spiritual, emotional, mental. The list can go on. But all of us have been touched by the fall. And look in your own story and say, where is it? And write those things down because I think it's important to understand, man, how Jesus wants to speak in even to the fall in our life. And what about the rescue? Where in your story do you see the rescue of God that has happened, is happening, potentially is going to happen? I see how Jesus rescued me out of a life that was just hell bent on destruction. But I also see how he's allowed me to be a rescuer even in my life for my children. I remember one time being in Annapolis and we were walking down by the tall ships and we didn't put on the little e brake for the stroller for my youngest kid. And I turn around, and the stroller's getting ready to roll off the dock into the ocean. And it wasn't like a drop. It was like a drop. And both my wife and I, I don't even remember who got it, but like, it was like literally front wheels were right over the edge and grabbed a hold of that stroller and hauled it back in. Um, I was almost taking a dive to the bottom for my daughter. And you know, it was a rescue and we were all in shock for a minute when went out ice cream. But it could have been a lot different day. It could have been a lot different day. And how God allows me to even participate in the rescue. My daughter will never remember it. She was so little. But I wonder how many times God has rescued us that we're unaware of it. How he has protected us that we, we it wasn't even on our radar. But where in your story can you identify God's rescue? That he saved you from something, that he rescued you from something. And, and yes, hell, death, sin, salvation. I, yes, I hope if we're believers in Jesus we get that, but it goes beyond that. And then also looking towards this restoration. Is there things in your story that you look and, and you might have said, as I've mentioned, you know, the bell has already been rung. I can't unring that bell it's already broken, and there's no possible way on this side of eternity that this can be fixed or made right. Be it chronic illness, you know, I believe in a healing God, and maybe he will intervene. But there's other things that just can't be undone. And I believe that we can look at our story and say, man, there's this, there's this hope that one day we are going to be restored, that God is going to make everything right. And we look towards that day, we look towards his purposes. We try to find that in our own story. I would encourage you to take a look at your story and see how God speaks his own story into yours. I believe in all of our stories, Jesus is wanting to speak the truth of the gospel creation, the fall, the rescue, the restoration. And if we're willing to take the time to see how his story and our story overlap, I believe we can live lives even more and more aligned with Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to align our lives with you and your incredible story that you have come and created. And even in the midst of a broken world, you have not given up on people, but you have come as a rescuer and brought your restoration. And Father, may we discover you in our own story. May we discover you in all those different movements and not miss the work that you have done, are doing, and are continuing to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.